This morning, our uh, brother and friend Nick Kidwell is teaching in Promise Kingdom, so he's not in this room to hear this, but it was around a month ago that we as pastors asked for your input, uh, your input on ordaining Nick as uh, an elder, a church planter, and I want to inform you that we have received your strong affirmation uh, as a congregation. In fact, I wanted to share some of, um, I'm so grateful for what you've taken the time to send along Dan McKetty spoke of how Nick has been a good friend of mine, one of the very first friends since joining Covenant Fellowship. Uh, though we've not always been in the same circles and groups together, he has always been someone who I could talk to about anything going on in my life. His passion for God, for scripture, and his love for people excites me to see him being ordained as a pastor and to be leading a church plant. I cannot wait to see how God will use him and Valley Creek Church in the near future. Um, we also heard from Mary Tao. She said, uh, turns out she's a fan. Uh, she shared with the elders, dear brothers in Christ, thank you for your interest in hearing from those of us familiar with Nick Kidwell. As you all surely know, I am his mother-in-law, and David and I live with Nick, Happy, and Anna. Suffice it to say, I had opportunity to observe and interact with Nick for over a decade. David and I are blessed beyond measure to have Nick loving and caring for not only Happy, Anna, and the two of us, but our entire family as well. Nicholas is the real deal. He honestly loves the Lord, his family, his friends, and the stranger. I commend him highly to you. His enthusiasm for Valley Creek Church Plant is tremendous and contagious. He's a gifted leader who loves tapping into the opinions of others. He is gentle and correcting and has a delightful sense of humor. He has been receptive to the cautions and suggestions of others too. He is very bright, an excellent communicator, and a solid student of the word of God and she concludes by saying hallelujah glory to God and expresses her enthusiasm and let me just share one more with you we heard from a good number of you uh, Tom Smith who is also participating in the church plant says brothers I support your plan to ordain Nick as a pastor without reservation being a part of the Valley Creek Church team speaks for itself after being part of Covenant Fellowship Church for decades but let me add some specific observations. I am blessed and strengthened by Nick's preaching. He is clearly gifted to preach and holds to sound doctrine, including the Sovereign Grace Church's expression and statement of faith. I am consistently seeing Nick's love for God's people and care in action and want to be a part of that care as well. I consider it a privilege to be serving with Nick and look forward to doing so for many years to come. And so I want to thank you on behalf of the pastors for the affirmation that you've sent along. Here's where we're at in the timeline of his ordination. We have a regional assembly of elders this next weekend. Uh, that is when he will be voted on by uh, the elders in Sovereign Grace Churches in our region, which is an essential part of uh, the process. And then we plan to ordain Nick on Sunday, May 15th. Now, if you have thoughts that you haven't sent yet, you still have a few days to do that, please send those to us. It's not too late to send along your input and you can mark your calendars as we plan for May 15th. All right, I'd like to invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I'm going to 
pause and step out of our series in 1 Peter for today to consider a particular theme that is on my heart to share with you. Jesus Christ, while he was on earth, performed many signs and wonders. He turned the bread and the fish into an abundance by which he fed the 5,000 and performed many other miracles. He died on the cross, he rose from the dead, and he ascended into heaven where he poured out his Holy Spirit and established the new covenant church. The church is not man's idea, it is God's idea. And what we see in scripture is that God does not intend for churches, individual churches, to exist in isolation, but to labor together for the gospel. So we believe that everyone should call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. We believe that those who are saved should join themselves as committed members to a specific local church where they devote themselves to regular faithful attendance, serving, using their gifts for the edification of the body. And we believe that every church should be joined together with other churches in a shared mission. And it's this theme, this biblical theme of churches being stronger together and God's desire for churches to abound in the grace of partnership that I want us to consider together this morning. In God's kindness, this is a strength for us as a church. If you've ever wondered why we talk so much about partnership uh, in Sovereign Grace Churches, which is the family of churches, the denomination to which we belong, uh, this will explain some of the reasons why. Uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 stand together two chapters as a unit. They are familiar chapters on generous giving. But these chapters are often misunderstood. And there are a few things to keep in mind as we read just the beginning of chapter 8. So things to keep in mind. One, the giving that is in view in these chapters does not involve local needs and local ministry, but extra local ministry and needs is what Paul is calling them to give to. Two, Paul is not mostly after more money. He is concerned that the independent-leaning church in Corinth learned to demonstrate a zeal and a love for churches beyond themselves. And three, these chapters are not simply about meeting uh, an isolated one-time need, which was the collection for the poor in Jerusalem. They are about Paul's broader desire to join many churches together in an interdependent mission, which is why this section ends in chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, with an encouragement for the church in Corinth to be generous not only toward the Jerusalem saints, but toward all the others. And he describes the Jerusalem saints as longing and praying for the church in Corinth. What's that a picture of? Partnership. Partnership. The grace of partnership. So our goal today is not so much to focus on money and giving as it is to consider how these chapters, and chapter 8 in particular, shed light on the great New Testament theme of the unity and communion of churches. And it is our hope and our earnest prayer that this biblical vision of the grace of partnership will create in every single member of Covenant Fellowship 
an even greater appreciation and commitment to our gospel partnership in Sovereign Grace Churches. So let's look together, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. I will read verses 1 through 10. This is God's holy and authoritative word. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment, this benefits you, who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. May God bless the preaching of his word. There is a Peanuts cartoon, Charlie Brown, it's one of my favorite cartoons, where Lucy comes into the room and demands that Linus change the TV channels and she threatens him with her fist if he doesn't. And Linus says, what makes you think you can walk right in here and take over? And Lucy responds by saying, these five fingers. Individually, they're nothing, but when I curl them together like this into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. And so Linus then says, what channel do you want? And he turns away and he looks at his own fingers and says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> this, is, this is true of individual Christians and it's true of local churches. Individually, one church is significantly limited in what it can accomplish. But when churches are joined together, when we are organized into a single unit, we form a weapon that is terrible to behold, that is glorious to behold. It is essential for Christians to understand that there is power in partnership. There is power in cooperation and unity among churches. Brothers and sisters, God has called us to joyful participation in the union of churches 
to which God in his great kindness has joined us. We all know there is a tendency among individual Christians toward independency and autonomy. That is one of the things that plagues our culture. The reality is that same tendency toward independency and toward autonomy exists among churches as well. There is a tendency toward independence and away from joyful participation in partnership. Late missiologist David Hesselgrave says Westerners, particularly North Americans, have a cultural bias toward promoting over-independency on the part of the churches they establish. Even when their churches actually belong to a larger fellowship of churches, the likelihood of those churches assuming an active role in the larger fellowship is not always great. And that tendency, friends, is the air that we breathe. It's the danger of the insular church. The danger of the solitary and small-minded church that has little vision for anything larger than itself and sees no need for anything beyond itself. This, in fact, was the challenge in the church in Corinth. And it's the same challenge we will face in our church today. Uh, Paul Barnett, in his commentary on 2 Corinthians, points out that the Corinthians were strong in a number of graces that were local and centered on themselves as a church, but they were weak in those graces that were for the benefit of Christians and churches outside. He says Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 stand as a rebuke to the Corinthians' myopic individualism and congregationalism. Ours is an age of myopic individualism, which contributes to the sense of urgency that I feel around this theme of partnership at this particular moment. Church members in Covenant Fellowship Church, each one of us, brothers and sisters, should not be indifferent to gospel partnership in Sovereign Grace Churches, but should be rather informed of what God is doing and rejoicing in what we get to be a part of. Now, when we talk about partnership among churches, I think it's imperative to make a distinction between a healthy passion for partnership and an unhealthy sense of denominational superiority. Denominational superiority is a form of pride. It is a sectarianism that falls into thinking that one's own denomination is the greatest and healthiest thing going. Friends, we must always remember and thank God for the abundance of grace that exists beyond sovereign grace churches. And we must always remember that the church of Christ is much older and much broader than our denomination. Our desire is not for everyone to love sovereign grace as much as we do. It is for Christians and churches everywhere to be a part of something they love, whether it is sovereign grace or some other union of churches, because partnership is God's plan for the church. We love partnership because we know that churches are stronger together. As imperfect as those Christians may be and as imperfect as those churches may be and therefore as imperfect as those unions of churches may be, this is God's plan for the church and it is glorious. 
And so we all need, individually and as a church, we all need to have a passion for partnership. And we need to have a passion for partnership that is informed and sustained by biblical convictions. In the New Testament, and I want you to notice this in all of your Bible reading and biblical studies, in the New Testament, local churches are not independent, they are interdependent. Paul devoted himself to planting and building churches and an essential aspect of the upbuilding of those churches was to build them together regionally for mutual support and for mission. You read through the book of Acts, study that glorious book of Acts, and you will see the cooperation and the fellowship that churches enjoy. Uh, You see traveling co-workers, reciprocal greetings, detailed updates, generous gifts, bonds of affection, sharing resources, sharing letters, leaders in various churches deliberating matters together, Congregations benefiting from external accountability and instruction. Churches learning from each other's example. Giving up laborers to serve other churches. Churches praying and thanking God for each other. You see that throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament, you see many of those very things in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 as well. The entire framework of the New Testament letters and extra-local co-workers, letters written from someone who's not a member of that church, but someone who is serving extra-locally, all of this testifies to the necessity and to the irreplaceable value that God places upon churches partnering together. And so New Testament scholar Eckerd Schnabel says that in the New Testament, partnership in the gospel is centrally connected to the progress of the gospel. So when it comes to the question of how does this glorious gospel, this message of Christ and him crucified, Christ risen from the dead, how does this gospel advance? Partnership in the gospel is centrally connected to the progress of the gospel. This is the reason we are having and hosting a regional two-day Life Together conference next month that I have the joy of leading. This is why this next week our pastors will meet with the pastors of other Sovereign Grace churches in our region for a regional assembly of elders meeting. This is why we have men on our pastoral team serving Sovereign Grace churches in various ways. This is why 10% of the finances we receive is given to Sovereign Grace in regional and national and international mission. This is why we sent Phil and Shannon Vanderweide to the Pastors College and why we are sending out the Kidwells and 40 other adults to plant a church this September. Partnership in the gospel is centrally connected to the progress of the gospel. Brian Chappell says, no one group can do all that is required for the advancement of the gospel. The varieties of gifts that bless individual churches are broadened as their effectiveness is multiplied, and their effectiveness is multiplied when churches connect their efforts. We value such connectionalism both for what it promotes and for what it protects. 
By our support of one another, we provide more coordinated talent and resources for the promotion of the gospel than any single church could supply. And here at the beginning of the reason that I've been drawn and have in fact done an extended study of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, here at the beginning of chapter 8 in particular, in the churches of Macedonia, we see a remarkable example of partnership. The churches of Macedonia uh, were churches that included the church in Philippi and the church in Thessalonica. You can read those letters to learn more about those churches of Macedonia. They are described and commended here for their extraordinary example. Paul, as always, you see this, him being the brilliant leader that he is, is relentless in his determination to celebrate the grace of God among the churches. And notice here he wants all of the members of the church in Corinth, not just the leaders, but all of the members, to be aware of God's activity in other churches. This is part of the interconnectedness that Paul constantly labored to cultivate and he not only holds up these churches as an example but the particular area of their example that he calls attention to is their posture toward partnership he says look at these churches that have such incredible extra local concern such incredible love for churches beyond themselves he says look at their external focus their sense of mission, their love, their generosity, their joy, their eagerness for partnership among these churches. And Paul describes this in verse 1 as a grace that was upon them. We want you to know about the grace of God that has been given among these churches. What is this grace? What was this evidence of the grace of God at work in these churches? Here it is, the Macedonians were extremely poor, but those churches faithfully resisted the temptation to turn inward. They had plenty of their own needs as a church, as do we, but they excelled in looking to the needs of others. And so we're told they gave, verse three, of their own accord, voluntarily and without compulsion, Verse 4, in fact, says that they were begging for the opportunity to participate. Begging us earnestly for the favor, for the grace of taking part in koinonia. Begging for the grace of partnership, the grace of participation. This was their passion. There was an overflow of joy and excitement about this partnership opportunity. Verse 5 says that they went beyond what was expected of them as they gave themselves first to the Lord and then gave themselves to these extra local workers and the cause of gospel partnership. What's God doing in this passage? He is calling our attention to this glorious display of grace. He's calling us to learn from these local churches in Macedonia that were abounding in love, giving generously and sacrificially, displaying the beauty of gospel partnership. The smile of God is upon local churches that have an eye to the welfare of other churches. And this in God's kindness is something that has marked our church throughout our history. 
It is, I believe, a grace in which we, in God's kindness, excel to this day and something that, Lord willing, will continue to define us for years and for decades to come. We shared with you as a church family at the beginning of this year that in December, we received the largest financial gift we have ever received as a church. And the giver of that gift expressed to our finance department a desire that the elders consider using these funds to bless other churches and ministries, especially in sovereign grace. And this is the very thing that God had been laying on our hearts as elders, a desire to be generous toward others, just like the churches of Macedonia gave generously beyond themselves. God had also been working on our hearts to increase our global giving as a reflection of God's heart for the nations. And so it was in December that after meeting and praying and seeking counsel as elders, we felt led to take the radical step of trust in God that would be devoting these funds in their entirety to other churches and ministries, which we have done and continue to do from that particular gift that was given. We are only able to take that step because of your generous giving as a church and because of your enthusiasm regarding our local mission and partnership. Listen, it's not that we have no pressing needs of our own. We do, and we are praying God meets those needs. But we give because we have been captivated by this vision of partnership. And I want to encourage you as a church to continue to excel in the grace of giving just as you are doing so that we have the resources needed for mission and so covenant fellowship can continue in the generous footsteps of the churches of Macedonia following this inspired example that we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Do you know what it is that motivates this kind of giving? How does a church arrive at this place of where the Macedonian churches found themselves and so excelling in this grace of a concern, sacrificial giving, love for other churches, this devotion for partnership? In verse 9, oh, it's glorious. In verse 9, we see the ultimate motivation and basis for partnership. This fellowship and sacrificial giving among churches, what we experience in sovereign grace, is ultimately motivated by the gospel itself. Verse 9 is a familiar and precious verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He says, you know the grace of Christ, and yet it is my joy to remind you of what you already know. That Christ was rich with all the treasures of heaven. Christ was rich in the complete absence of poverty and suffering. Yet he became poor. Born in poverty. Tempted as we are. 
nowhere to lay his head, despised and rejected, slandered and persecuted, humbling himself to become obedient even to the point of death on a Roman cross. Why? Why would the Prince of Glory become poor? Why would the majestic Son of God shed his precious blood, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor? He did it for your sake. He did it as a demonstration of his great love for you so that you and I, by his poverty, might become rich in the abundance of his grace. Manger born but on a tree, he died to save humanity. Behold the self-giving of the Son of God. Behold the riches of divine mercy poured out on sinners like us. Listen, you may not have much by way of resources in this world. Finances are tight. Your car broke down. You had to sell your house. You wonder how you're going to make ends meet. Today, through verse 9, God is reminding you that for your sake, Christ became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich in his grace. And that you might say, with contentment in Christ and his gospel, in the midst of whatever lacks and needs you may have, you say, return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. And now, here's the primary application of this verse in context. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 This is not a secondary application. This is a primary application. This is why this gospel truth is brought out at this particular place. That the sacrificial other-centeredness of Christ in his death has profound implications for how churches relate to other churches. That's the whole point of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. The gospel, the self-giving of Christ for us launches local churches, whether it's Corinth or whether it's Covenant Fellowship. This gospel launches local churches into generosity, into extra local love and concern, into global prayer, into joyful participation in partnership. The gospel, that's what takes hold of a church. That's what makes a church look beyond its own needs. The gospel is the determining factor in how we will relate to other churches and how we will engage the partnership needs and the mission opportunities that surround us. Daryl Bach says, God loves churches that look beyond their own needs. What kind of church does God love? He loves churches that look beyond their own needs. What kind of church do we want to be? A church that looks beyond our own needs. Church, churches that follow in the footsteps of our Savior. That's what we want to be. The one who looked to the interests of others and freely gave himself. And God wants churches that are rich in the grace of partnership to know 
that this benefits us, the giving church, in so many ways. This is much of the entire point of all of chapter 9. In chapter 8, verse 10, Paul says, this benefits you. He's urging them toward this greater concern, this greater devotion, this greater commitment. And he says, this benefits you. And he goes on to say in chapter 9 that a church that sows bountifully will be a congregation that reaps bountifully. In chapter 9, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. And verse 12 says that this will overflow in many thanksgivings to God. So God is saying directly and plainly that there are blessings of every kind for local churches that sow bountifully into extra local fields. These will be churches that reap in abundance. God says this benefits you. And so may every member of our local church family, may each one of us be aware of and celebrate the irreplaceable benefits of partnership. Generous and sacrificial sowing beyond our walls benefits you. It means we experience belonging and accountability. It means we have increased opportunities for mission. It means we get to be a part of building something larger than our church. It means that we get to see the gospel bearing fruit and growing throughout our nation and throughout the world. Covenant Fellowship Church was planted in 1984 when C.J. Mahaney and the other brothers in Gaithersburg, Maryland, said, sent out the Pattons and the Red Roofs to start what we now enjoy. I'm telling you, that does not happen if a church isn't looking beyond itself and willing to give of itself. And this larger vision is so much a part of who we are. It's the reason we have sent out so many church planters and church planting teams in recent years. Tim Shorey, Joel Shorey, and now Nick Kidwell. And why we hope to send out more church plants from Covenant Fellowship, Lord willing, that some of you will participate in and perhaps even lead. We want to reach the world with this glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want the hope of the nations to ring out from this congregation. We want to be a part of what God is doing. God has saved us and he has set us apart for this purpose. We want to follow the New Testament model. We want to be used by God to build something durable. We want to look beyond our own needs and be used by our gracious God among the nations. And so, church, my dear brothers and sisters, just as you are doing, continue to do so more and more. Let's continue to excel in the grace of partnership for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.